Hello, thanks for downloading this podcast from Teacher. I'm Jo Earp. Each year in our teacher survey, we ask readers and listeners what they'd like more information on in the coming 12 months. In the 2022 survey, lots of you said you'd like more support on the issue of bullying in schools, prevention and intervention strategies, and related school policies. In a recent two-part Q&A with Dr. Christine Reimer, we unpacked the framework of restorative justice and looked at how it can operate in a school context. In this episode of our Behaviour Management podcast series, I'm delighted that our guest is Professor Ken Rigby, adjunct professor at the University of South Australia and a leading international researcher in the area of bullying in schools. Over the course of the next 35 minutes, we'll be talking about changes over the last 20 years in the way that schools have understood and dealt with bullying, what incidents may look like in different age groups, signs for teachers to be on the lookout for, and elements of a school anti-bullying policy. Professor Rigby will also be unpacking his latest piece of work called the Comprehensive Bullying Model. If you want to have a copy of the model in front of you while we talk through it, just click on this link in the transcript of the podcast at teachermagazine.com to download a PDF. Okay, let's dive in. Professor Ken Rigby, it's a pleasure to have you on the Teacher podcast today. Um, Now, after starting working as a school teacher and then a school guidance officer, um, for over 20 years now, your work's been focused on bullying in schools and you've done a great deal of research and consultancy and facilitation in this area. Um, Can you give me a bit of an overview of the key changes in um, perhaps how schools have understood and dealt with bullying? over those 20 years? Sure, sure I can do that. Um, I I think the most obvious change is that um, there's now a recognition uh, in most schools, not all schools, and an acknowledgement that the bullying occurs. Uh, I say not all schools because there's still a few schools that are a little bit reluctant to admit that it in fact is happening at their school. Um, And uh, that it has serious consequences. Again, I've got to be a proprietor because occasionally come across schools in which to say, yes, it happens, but it's not serious. So it might, in fact, involve uh, giving appropriate feedback. You know, the children actually need it and that um, uh, it's not something to be taken a lot seriously. But um, with those provisos, I think there's been a big change, a major change um, in Australia and other countries. um, And so that schools are now um, now believe they should act proactively and reactively. So uh, it is patchy, as I said, uh, you can't generalise too much because schools do differ a good deal. But on the whole, there's been this general acknowledgement and recognition of the seriousness of the bullying. Mm-hmm. So that's been the major change, really, as you say. How do we um, understand bullying now? What kinds of behaviours Uh, would you consider to fall under this definition? Okay, I I think first of all, um, on the question of what what is bullying, I think I need to say a word about that because um, it is still a bit controversial. Um, At the same time, I think most schools would say that uh, the definition that was given way back in about 1990 uh, is still very relevant 
I'll just read it to you. It's a, a negative unwanted behavior repeated over time in a situation in which there is an imbalance of power or strength. I think um, most schools would say, yes, well, that's reasonable. Um, and if we say, what is negative anyway? And we would say that, um, yes, there have, there have been changes. Uh, early on, I think people think purely in terms of, or almost purely in terms of physical and verbal abuse. But now we've got things like exclusion and malicious rumor spreading. Uh, and of course, uh, cyberbullying. So the content of bullying has expanded, but I think the general understanding hasn't. Uh, except, let me just say the one thing that I think is important, and that is that many people still think of bullying as being hurtful, intentional, hurtful behavior, uh, and others don't. Uh, they say, oh no, it may be hurtful, but it's not intended. Uh, the intention is basically to increase my status so that I'd be more important than somebody else. Uh, I don't, they don't realize sometimes it is hurtful. So it's not necessarily intentional hurt, hurtful behavior, uh, but a good deal of it is. Mm -hmm. So it can be in some cases, in others it's not intentional, yeah. it's more a status yeah. play then. That's right. And uh, that, that makes for difficulties sometimes in knowing how to react to it. Mm -hmm. And there's no obvious answer to the question. Yes. Um, how might, I'm thinking now about, obviously there's people listening who will be teaching in the early years. There are people who are in year 12 teaching. Mm -hmm. um, how might bullying look differently or similar indeed from the early years up to, up to senior secondary? And what about students uh, of different gender? Well, yes, there are, there are obvious changes, I think. Um, I mean, uh, even in preschool, you get children uh, who are bullying, although bullying isn't, I would say, nature. It's a rough, uh, aggressive behaviour, more or less uh, random, uh, bigger kids pushing little kids around. Uh, and uh, it's not so planned. It's more it's almost spontaneous, you know. It's, it's kind of rough the way people kids behave. But as children get older, they become more uh, liable to uh, plan what they're going to do, uh, what they do to other children, and they tend to pick on children. Uh, most of the bullying is um, um, physical with younger children, um, but it decreases actually uh, over time in primary school. Uh, so things are getting better, if you like, um, by the time uh, you get to the year six or five or six, and then there's an increase in the first two years of uh, secondary school. And we don't know very often whether that's due to the fact it's maturation. It could be maturation as you move into adolescence, uh, or it could be simply the meeting new kids and the struggle for dominance, struggle for status. So it's a combination of those. And then again, you get in this later secondary school, you do get a reduction in bullying. Um, and again, I've got to notice that um, some of the children who've been bullying actually do get worse and become more dangerous. Uh, but in general, if we're talking about averages, it tends to come down, although it can be very serious uh, late adolescent bullies. 
Yeah, we were asking about gender as well, weren't you? I'm not sure in that question. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think the obvious is true that boys tend to be the physical uh, aggressors and girls not. And there may be some change uh, in recent times, but generally speaking, that's true. Uh, in terms of uh, non-physical bullying, there's not really very much difference. And it seems to be affected a bit by cultural things, cultural conditions. Um, I did some work in the in the Middle East uh, some time ago, and in uh, United Arab Emirates, it turned out that um, the girls were bullying significantly less, whereas in Australia it was about the same. So it depends on whereabouts in the world you are. So you know, culture sometimes transcends gender. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I want to move on to perhaps some of the signs and how we identify this then. What should educators be looking out for in terms of identifying when bullying is happening in their school? Well, I mean, obviously part of it is simply looking for the behaviours we've listed, you know, physical aggression, physical assaults, uh, girl put-downs. Uh, uh, some of the uh, bullying, of course, is covert and uh, Teachers simply don't see it. There's a good deal of physical bullying they don't see either, for that matter. Um, so um, there are certain things, obvious things that teachers can look for. Perhaps not quite so obvious is looking at for children who look as if they might be bullied, and uh, you can't be wrong. Uh, but if it's a change from a, a fairly brilliant child who's happy at school, and that child becomes really quite depressed, anxious, and stay away from school. Um, then it's a fair guess that kid is being bullied. So that's one thing I think to look for. But by and large, uh, teachers, I think, are uh, really reliant upon being told by people about who is being bullied. And uh, the most obvious, of course, the child who is being bullied. And in some schools, children, particularly in primary school, will go to tell the teacher and get help. Uh, but the sad thing is, if you look at the research in Australia at least, I think it's true elsewhere. Uh, children are really reluctant to tell the teacher for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the teacher said they don't think the teacher wouldn't care about it um, and they wouldn't know what to do. Um, it would be very embarrassing. You don't tell teachers things like that. And so there's a reluctance to, uh, to get information you know, from the victim. And actually, parents are more likely to be told, told than teachers. Uh, teachers, generally speaking, don't believe that. As I mentioned in the introduction there, you've done a great deal of research in this area over your career. Your latest work looks at providing a general explanation for why bullying occurs and then also how schools can address it more effectively. You've developed something called the comprehensive bullying model to yep. unpack this. Um, can you talk me through this model and, and how it can help schools develop a better understanding of perhaps why the bullying occurs. Yes, I'd be very happy to do that. Actually, in the 1930s, I could, uh, there was a, uh, a sociologist who, who made a very simple, simply simplistic statement. He said, all behaviour is due to two things. One's the environment, one's the, per the person. And uh, the interaction between the person and the environment produces the bullying, the behaviour. You can apply this to bullying, of course. Uh, and some recent work has been done on this last maybe 10 years, uh, looking what are the in environmental factors, what are the person factors 
that do give rise to bullying. And uh, if I just touch on some of the environmental factors, and the most obvious one is the home, the home environment, basically. Um, sometimes the home environment, of course, before the school comes to, child comes to school. Um, <clears throat> actually, the kind of home I found that is most likely to um, um, give rise to a child bullying is what I might call a cold authoritarian parenting style. But the, the, the parents are demanding uh, obedience all the time, they must do this and that, um, and they don't love the child. Um, well, there's authoritarian parent behaviour, um, but nevertheless, a degree of love. I've come across families like that. Uh, they're very tough-minded and bossy and so on, but they do really love the child, and the child feels it. Um, where you've got a combination of coldness and authoritarian behaviour, uh, for some reason, and people are guessing at the reason, I suppose, uh, you do get, get uh, a, a rise in bullying. You might, of course, get bullying because children copy some bullying style from a parent. That sometimes happens as well. Um, so that's an important one. Another one is a neighbourhood. Uh, if you live in a neighbourhood where there's a lot of conflict, racial conflict, ethnic conflict, whatever, um, you um, <clears throat> are likely to, um, you know, to, to be affected by that and uh, be struggling, you know, to uh, 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 to survive. Really, I mean, if you um, the last one, the, perhaps the most important one in a way, is the is the school ethos. And um, that, that you can define that in different ways, but it's whatever you do, it's going to include things like uh, whether the children feel the school cares about them, um, whether they're being supported, whether they're being threatened. Um, sometimes it, it, the, it, this, the school ethos impinges on some children a great deal, partly because they belong to groups uh, where, uh, which are prejudiced and they pick up the norm and the prejudice from the group that they're actually in. And th that is extremely important uh, factor, I think, in uh, bringing about bullying. Um, on the, as far as a person is concerned, um, there are a few interesting ones. One that's come out recently is intolerance of uh, uh, frustration. Um, everybody suffers frustration. We all do every day, of course. Children do, uh, and uh, um, some, some some kids are extremely intolerant. They get, they go mad and get very angry, hostile, and so on if they're frustrated. And others are much calmer. Um, so um, lack, low empathy is obviously one as well, and that seems to be, to a large extent, genetic. Um, it's difficult to know whether intolerance frustration is genetic, but certainly genetic factors do play a part. And it, some teachers, not a lot of teachers actually, do deny the possibility of genetic influence. I did a survey of teachers' beliefs, and uh, uh, although the research is oh, very clear that there are genetic factors, uh, and this is based upon identical twins and fraternal twins, identical twins are more similar even when they're raised in different places uh, than fraternal twins are who've been raised in the home. It, it's quite clear genetic factors are important. Um, it's difficult to know what you can possibly do about that except take them into account, you know, when you're, you're dealing with some children. Disagreeableness, 
the world that's being used quite a bit now. Um, and one person talks about disagreeableness is a good thing, you know, because shouldn't be agreeing with everybody. But I mean, disagreeableness is a quality that, uh, you know, kind of um, makes you feel like you really want to put things right and, uh, you know, push people around and so on. So that's one. Um, gender and age, uh, I think we've actually touched on that, haven't we? Uh, but it's obviously an important person factor. Uh, and these factors interact and, uh, you know, you may have a, a great deal of frustration but you, you, in the environment, um, but, you know, you, you're very tolerant of frustration, so it's not going to have the effect. And there are many other interactions that, you know, can be explored between these different, uh, different variables, so it's not simple. Now, the main thing that I've done with this model is to say, yes, um, it, you know, it's quite clear that the, the person-environment interaction does lead to bullying, but how does it, you know, it leads to it, in my opinion, uh, through what I've called a desire to hurt or subjugate others. Uh, I think there's that, you know, middle that me mediating variable there. Um, and uh, I think it's important to recognize that uh, there are ways of trying to reduce that desire to hurt or to subjugate others, and uh, that maybe teachers, um, you know, can consider that and develop methods in which they can help children who are overwhelmed with this, uh, who are full of desire to hurt others. Um, and obviously, the that desire is not always expressed. Um, if the if the desire is weak, then you know it'll be it won't lead anywhere. Um, in some cases, um, it it results in fighting, in some in bullying, and there's a very important distinction uh, that sometimes teachers get confused about. They see somebody thumping somebody, and they say, "Well, you know, that's uh, that's bullying, isn't it?" Well, no, it's not. I mean, if you're of equal equal strength or equal power, um, you may say, "I want to stop it. This shouldn't be happening in this school. We don't want it." Uh, but it's not bullying, and we we are talking about bullying. And bullying is a greater evil, in my opinion. Uh, than simply fighting or quarrelling. I mean, quarrelling, I think, is, is quite a human and natural thing to have to do, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but uh, bullying, I think, is uh, by definition a bad thing. Uh, so it may lead to bullying. Now, the rest of the model is concerned with, you know, the kind of uh, interventions that are possible, and I've listed three in my model. Um, one is called social and emotional learning, which I think teachers know quite a lot about. Um, it's been around now for, what, about 10 years, I think. Um, and it, it, it requires, of course, something being done in the curriculum, a teacher is actually teaching uh, certain content uh, that is intended to uh, change the way people relate to others, improve social skills, uh, positive social skills, um, to help people to be perhaps more resilient in some cases, and that's important, um, to increase empathy. And I do think there are exercises that you can do in the classroom that will help uh, children to be more empathic towards each other. And if you can change that, then you're, you're on the way to reducing that desire. You can't decide to hurt somebody and feel empathic towards them. That's a contradiction. So um, social emotional learning I think is really important. Problem solving is part of it. Helping children see that you don't have to thump people in order to solve a problem. 
you can you can work out a good solution that much yourselves and so on. Uh, so I won't I won't say more about that because I think Ian teaches know quite a lot about it. Except I will say that there are quite a number of teachers that don't like the idea. Um, because of course they, they say, look, I'm I'm a teacher, I'm not a therapist. It's not my it's not my it's not my role. And there is controversy in that area. Um, and if teachers are told, oh you must do this, you must teach it, they'll do it badly. You have to have a feel for it. You have to want to do this kind of work. And uh, I think uh, where it has been operating well, it has actually improved things enormously and it's reduced bullying. But in some cases, it's actually increased bullying. So you, know, you, can't, you can't be sure it's got to be done well. I would say it should be done well or not at all. And you have to get the teachers on side. If teachers aren't on side and are happy about what they're doing, it'll go, go badly. Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness is, is uh, one of those uh, uh, new uh, concepts that has been around a while, but more recently there's been a vast increase in people's interest in mindfulness. Um, and I'm not an expert on that, so I have to say that uh, my understanding is derived from reading a little bit about it. Um, but the idea, of course, is to get people to be alert, to be aware of the, the present moment, where, where, where one is and what's actually happening, uh, rather than brooding or about something or other and, and thinking about how you're going to fix somebody when, you, when, they, when the class is over and going to get him. Um, uh, but so uh, mindfulness uh, has a, it seems to me, a potential, and it's based very, up, very much on breathing and, you know, calming yourself by the way you breathe and so on, and uh, attending to the here and now rather than being concerned with, uh, you know, what's going to happen. That's, uh, and then the last one is one that perhaps needs a better, bigger explanation it, um, on uh, group problem solving. Um, now, uh, my model has got to do mostly with prevention, um, but um, if you intervene in particular cases well, um, then that is preventive, preventative as well, isn't it? You fix something well, so, you know, uh, it gets around uh, the way people behaved and how this has improved things. Um, so there are four different ways of the behavioral group problem solving. Mediation is, is obvious, and children sometimes come to you because of having, having a conflict and say, can you help us sort it out? But usually they don't, and certainly if bullying is involved, the bully is not very keen on coming along and mm. on, help us solve our problem. I think its usefulness is very limited. However, sometimes, it, you may solve a problem that could lead uh, to, um, um, to to bullying. Restorative practice, uh, which I think is uh, very 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 much being used uh, in in schools these days, um, and I think it's, I feel very positive about it. Except again, I, I if I had more time, I would talk about the ways in which uh, you know you could do it wrongly. Uh, it can go wrong by uh, for example, believing that the problem has been solved when it hasn't. Mm -hmm. The victim has said, yeah, yeah, it is, everything's all right, yeah. And the bully is quite pleased about it, knows very well he's got to continue. You've got to be very good at restorative practice, I think, to feel confident that you're solving the problem. Support group method, 
and that means getting children who are um, by, uh, are interested in helping to solve problems, um, sitting around with children uh, who are bullies, have been identified as having bullied somebody and sharing with them your concern basically for what's happening and asking them, what do you think we can actually do about it? Nobody's accused of anything. That's, that I think is so important. Um, it has, it's simply a, a group meeting to come up with good solutions. And so is a method of shared concern, which is one that actually I've written mostly about, uh, because I'm a great believer in it. And that involves um, talking uh, to individual children who are uh, suspected of bullying, uh, not accusing them, uh, speaking to them individually, um, talking about bullying involving groups. And that's about half of the bullying that actually occurs. Um, talking to them individually, uh, then bringing them together, having shared your concern and got some kind of acknowledgement it's a bad situation and something really ought to be done. Okay, you bring them together and these uh, four or five kids will uh, come up with some uh, uh, possible uh, uh, solution. And then you bring the victim in and you mediate and, uh, you know, uh, uh, things go happily ever afterwards, we hope. Uh, but actually they do. Uh, uh, the research is, and you know, I say this because I carried out the research myself. We, we did a bit, quite a big study, government study, looking at how well this method worked. And it worked, you know, about uh, 70 or 80% of the time, which is much better. And But it changes the desire of people. And that's what I keep coming back to. We're changing the desire of people wanting to hurt and trying to replace it by the desire of people to, you know, to help people and solve problems and feel good about having solved problems. That's, that's the important thing. There's one thing I wanted to just clarify then. You mentioned about the environment and the person. Uh, environment's certainly not destiny, is it? What you're saying is it's the interaction, isn't it, between these two things? And then this desire, as you call it, desire to hurt yeah. and or subjugate another. So we're not saying that's definitely destiny. We're saying... There's an interaction of many elements. Now, um, one of the things that's that's difficult, uh, of course, with bullying, there are many different groups of people that are involved in tackling the issue. Uh, we, we think about students and teachers, school leaders, sometimes parents. Sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, it has to go further than that law enforcement. That can make it hard to know who to involve. And as you've just said there, it's difficult to get it right. And teachers need to be confident yeah. If teachers notice a pattern or an incident of bullying, who who can they reach out to then? Who should well, they be going to? Of course, on the severity. I mean, uh, obviously the police, if it's a matter of assault, and in some states, if it's cyberbullying, it's again uh, a criminal offence, and the police must be informed. Um, but there's quite a bit of bullying that is uh, teasing, and you you feel that maybe uh, the person's being teased is, uh, you know, could toughen up a bit, uh, could, could learn a few social skills uh, to, to overcome the problem, and the victim can be strengthened. Uh, and so, you know, you, you talk it through with, with the children involved, and I don't think you need to go any further. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm talking about a minority of, of, of cases of bullying that are not uh, terribly serious. Uh, but as it becomes more serious, uh, then you have to think 
through about the the you know the variety of things you might want to do, and one of which, of course, is to contact the parents. So that's that's a big step. I mean, there are some things that the school can handle, uh, and there's some things that really uh, it's got to be the parent and teacher working together, uh, and uh, that's sometimes not easy. And sometimes it's the parent of the bully and the parent of the victim that can work it out. Except that's a pretty dangerous thing to have. Sometimes it can escalate madly, you know. I think madly is the right word. But I have actually, to my surprise, found that many parents said, "Less." I talked it over with the, um, the parent of the victim, and use that word, a parent, uh, or, or parental bully, whatever. Uh, and it worked. It depends on the relationship between the two parents, and the relationship can sometimes be built up quite quickly. And so it can sometimes work. So I don't throw it at one stage. I thought that was quite wrong. But now I'm thinking, well, sometimes it can work. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you, 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 it depends on cases and the, the kind of people that are involved. Another factor in the decision making for teachers, hopefully, should be the anti-bullying policy. And now all schools should have an anti-bullying policy in place. Um, can you describe what makes an effective policy and the, and the first steps that schools can take and then how often should they be reviewing this policy? Well, I think that uh, the business of a policy is uh, one that uh, I feel uh, somewhat reluctant to, um, uh, you know, to impose or to, or, or to say what they should do. Um, but I've got written down here actually a few uh, points that I thought were important. One, of course, is uh, a policy which reflects the values of the school and sounds a little bit ideological, but I think it's, it's important. If you're a, a Christian school, of course, you've got to connect it with uh, Christianity. Uh, um, if you're a Jewish school, uh, if you're an Islam school, you've got to connect it with, uh, with beliefs. And many schools, of course, there's no religious connection whatsoever. Um, but you've got to connect it with something and make a statement about our school believes this or that, and a strong statement as to what your values are. And therefore, uh, we are bullies. Uh, you know, bullying is incompatible with our values at the school. Uh, definition of bullying is obviously there. A recognition of the harm it can do, that should be in the policy. Um, the um, um, what you what you're prepared to do, um, and of course this is under the heading of prevention and intervention, um, and this is you've got to be very careful because as soon as you put down in a policy what you're prepared to do, and things go wrong, and the lawyers get onto it, they get onto your policy and they say you said this didn't you, and did you do it? Well, sort of. Well, did you do it? No, not really. So, you know, you are in trouble um, if, if, if you don't do what you say, say you'll do. So make sure, I always say, that you do put it in words uh, that, that, that you can defend. And sometimes people go overboard and, you know, make, make statements that, 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 you know, that, that are perhaps beyond them. Um, but um, uh, I think um, it's important to uh, satisfy parents, for example, that um, parents should receive the policy, uh, that you've got some specific, definite things that you're going to be doing and that you're actually doing 
uh, to prevent it and what you're going to do. I mean, you may want uh, to stick, let's say, well, we're going to do the method of shared concern when when it happens, you know, when the bullying happens, uh, and, uh, and then you never do it. <laughs> so you've got to be careful. Although somebody says on the staff, Oh, the method shirt and sir, I mean, good God, we, we don't want that, do we? Uh, and uh, so it, it's not, not there. You, and that's the final point. You have to have staff, staff agreement as to what's in the document. And you've got to get a document out uh, to the key people, uh, to the right people, the parents, also students. One of the th things I did discover to my horror was when I asked children, have you... I, I, has the school got an anti-bullying policy? Have you seen it? Half the students said, no, we've never seen it. We don't know whether they've got one. That was horrifying. I, I thought, I asked the teachers, by the way, do you, um, do you let the school, let the students see the policy? And so say, oh, yes, of course. But then we asked the students and it didn't turn out to be the case. Only about half of them. And more in the primary school than in the secondary. The primary schools were more um, bright, if you like, than than the, than the secondary. Um, That's really interesting. It wasn't a matter of little kids not knowing what a policy is, uh, you know, and older children knowing. It was they simply didn't. There was no effort being made to share the policy with the students. That's so important. I think, and I like to see the the the, the model, and, and it's being elaborated further um, as being uh, the mean, a means by which um, teachers can basically develop and review their policy and uh, see what they're actually doing and see whether they can do things better. Um, I think that's, that's the main thing. I mean, obviously there's certain things in the model uh, that draw attention to specific things that, that teachers have perhaps not thought about, um, such as, uh, uh, well, shared concern or uh, the use of mindfulness uh, and so on. There will be things there that have practical, uh, uh, practical thing. But, um, but if I may get back to you know the fundamental idea of, of and focusing upon the, the desires of children. Why are children wanting to do this? Getting back to that, I think, is so important. Why is this child so you know trying to understand? the child uh, uh, rather than uh, focus upon what kind of things we can do to prevent it from happening. I mean, all the time, you know, what kind of punishments, I'm not talking about that, what kind of, uh, by the way, I do think, uh, I hope people don't think that I'm against uh, uh, punishment. I think there are cases in which uh, uh, some kind of sanction is absolutely needed. Um, but uh, on the whole, if you sanction somebody for doing something, um, it makes the desire become more negative, makes them feel more inclined to want to bully, and therefore you have to put in place uh, stronger and stronger means of containing it. So I, I, I'm against, I recognise the necessity, you've got to protect vulnerable children. A child is being bullied a great deal, and if one person is causing mayhem in a school, You've got to suspend that child, of course. You've got to use sanctions of one kind or another. But uh, the model itself is really saying, let's, as far as possible, concern ourselves with the desires, how the desires arise, and what we can do about school ethos, for example. Uh, we can't do much about the home, 
we can't do anything about uh, genetics, uh, but there are certain things we can actually do. Um, and there are certain specific things we can do when we try to help a particular child. That's all for this episode. Before you go, though, I have a favour to ask. It'd be great if you could take just a few moments to rate our podcast if you're listening to this audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're listening on the Spotify app, just click on the three dots, then rate show. And if you're on the Apple Podcasts app, you'll find the rating section by scrolling to the bottom of our podcast channel page. On Apple Podcasts, you're also able to leave a short review for us. Leaving a rating or a review helps more people like you to find our podcast, and it's a really big support for our team. So thanks for taking the time to support the work we're doing.